Happy Mother's Day! We do love you, all you mothers. It's so good to have you in the house today. I hope you mothers are not cooking today. Yeah, what a fat joke that is, eh? My, my, one of the daughters that cooks for me is in London. She rang me last night. She showed me, Mum, look what I cooked. And I'm like, yeah, you're not here tomorrow, though, for me, are you? <laughs> and uh, and uh, Tori, she's a, she's a great cook when she cooks. <laughs> and Jack, well, just got to let him know that it's Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, we do, we do love you. We do love you, mothers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to come together and worship you and and learn from your word this morning. And we are grateful, God, that that the word of God is an instruction manual for us in all the things that we face and go through. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, who's here and to this day, you're an adult. Tori just looked at me and because she read, one of my, what I was about to say, and she goes, yes, I know what you, that word you said to me to this day. I said lots of words, but one particular word that I always said to the kids is follow through. Because I like a clean house. And so if their bags are on the ground, I go, everyone back, follow through. So it's, it's ingrained in them. I've drained them well. But who as an adult here, you hear your mum's voices in your head, right? This is one man does. And he said, he said, my mum taught me to appreciate a job well done when she said, if you are going to kill each other, do it outside and just, I've just finished cleaning. My mother taught me about religion when she said, you better pray that will come out of the carpet. (laughs) My mother taught me logic because I said so, that's why. (laughs) My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear just in case you get into an accident. (laughs) Whose mum said that? My mum said that. <laughs> My mum taught, taught me about stamina. You sit there and you eat all your spinach and you will not get off the table until you finish your spinach. <laughs> My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world. <laughs> My mother taught me about justice. One day, you, when you have kids, I hope they turn out just as, as bad as you. <laughs> uh, there's not one single person who has not realised that they need mum. I thank God for my mum. She is an amazing mum. She's still alive today. She'll be 89 this year. She's in a nursing home with dementia, but she remembers me because I have constantly said to her, Mum, I'm your favourite child (laughs) and you will always remember me. The other, when I went back, I often try and go back every so many months and I went to her and she's in the dining room with everyone and she's always ordering everyone still around. Sit here, 
you need to go home now. I have to go to bed. She thinks she's at home. She wants all the residents to go home. She's cooking. She's helping them clean up and cook, all the workers. Like she's nonstop. Go, mum, you can relax now. I not relax until I get to heaven. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, mum. <laughs> So, uh, and she didn't, for a moment, she didn't recognise me. It was actually probably, I hadn't been there for longer than what I normally go. I try and go every two months and it probably would have been about three, four months and she didn't recognise me. And then I go, Mum, it's your favourite child. (gasps) Nina. (laughs) See, words are powerful. She was a praying mother. She was a tough mum. Did I tell you? She was a strict mum. She was a dedicated mum. She, she served the home. She served my dad. She served us. She served the Lord. She was a selfless mum who always would take in strays, who, who's, whose mums rejected them and she would take them in. We had a back room that she turned into a little place where respite for for you know, young mums and all, even I remember we had a mum, a lady in our home in that little back room and she would have been oh, in her like, you know, everyone's old when you're young. So she would have been in her 60s or 70s. Now it's probably 70s, hey? <laughs> She's old. Did you hear about, so for mum, work never ends, does it? Well, it doesn't end for me. <laughs> Did you hear about the 15-year-old boy who came home from school and he saw his mum sick in bed? He says, Mum, are you okay? Oh, no, son, I'm actually not well. And he smiled. He goes, don't worry about dinner, Mum. I can carry you down the stairs to the stove. (laughs) This morning, this morning, I do want to honour our mums at the moment who are looking after our kids who are out there in the back looking after our kids upstairs. You know, not only do they look after their kids at home, but they come to choose and serve your kids. And so they can't hear us right now, but can we applaud them? Yeah, it's just so wonderful. We thank every one of those workers, every one of them. You can enjoy my sermon because your kids are up there. (laughs) You know, I want to talk about a, a woman this morning in the Bible. We can learn a lot from her. Her only claim to fame was she was a great mum. She was a gracious lady who served the Lord. Her name is Hannah. And we're going to look at her life through the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. You know, this, this book is actually about three great men. It's about Samuel the prophet. It's about Saul, the king of Israel. It's about David, the following uh, king to follow, who was known as a man after God's own heart and the greatest king of all. Though this book is about three men, it starts with a great woman, a barren woman, a woman who was infertile. She could not have children. Eventually, she has a son who becomes a prophet, a man of God, who is able to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and deliver messages to the people. 
You know, someone once said, if God wants to do a great work, he gets hold of a man. But if he wants to do an exceptional work, he gets hold of a woman. (laughs) You're all exceptional works here because he got hold of a mum for you. You know, we see in the Bible, and this is how we know that this is true, exceptional women, because we see in the Bible that Israel deliverance from Egypt came, began from a woman named Jochebed, who was the mother of Moses. She had the faith and the courage to put Moses in a basket and let him go down the stream. The story of the line of the king of of David began with a woman named Ruth. The miraculous preservation of the Jews of a nation began with a woman named Esther who risked her life, put her life on the line. That's the kind of faith that she had. Our salvation for you who have met Jesus Christ and received him as your personal Lord and Saviour, it began with a young Jewish woman, the Virgin Mary, who was visited by God, who gave birth to Jesus. Great, exceptional women. You know, from 1 Samuel chapter 1, the life of Hannah, I want to see... And I want, to, I want us to allow us to learn her godly traits and values that are so common to us today. We can learn these traits and these values and apply them in our lives. Effective mothering begins with values. It's the values that determine what is important to a person. It's what is worthwhile. What you spend your time with mostly is what you value. What is desirable and what is profitable? So number one, all start with peace so you can remember. Great mums have great problems. Oh, that's really encouraging. It's true. We can sometimes think of Bible characters as perfect people without problems. People are people everywhere. And there are problems everywhere including Hannah's life. Let's look at her set of problems. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. There was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanai, son of Jerohoam. Aren't you glad it's Jack and Jill these days? <laughs> the son of Elu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had Two wives. Thank the Lord, things change here. He had two wives. Mark just barely copes with me. He had two wives. Because follow through. He hates that word. (laughs) He had two wives. One called Hannah and the other Penina. Say with me, Penina. Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Her first problem is that she was barren and she was infertile. She had no children. You know, it was the hope of every Jewish woman to have children. You know, if you had children in in that day and in that age, it was seen as a blessing from God because you would live on in your kids. They would take on your family name. 
So it was something that was esteemed if you had children. And they thought that their kids, uh, through their kids, they, they thought that in their day, the, the kids were more important than anything and better than anything. And having the more that you have, the better that it is. Psalm 127, three to five says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring and a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, of children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who has a, who has a quiver th- full of them. Yes, that's a challenge. I barely cope with three. <laughs> in the day, having children was not having children was such a terrible stigma that it was seen as a curse from God if you never had children. In the day, like we see in verse 11, it says, And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your maidservant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. It was an affliction to her not to be able to have children. We see in the book of Genesis when Jacob's wife Leah finally becomes pregnant. She says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. His other wife, Rachel, because she couldn't have children and says, to her husband, give me a child or I will die. It was so desperate for them to have children. It was so ingrained in their psyche to reproduce. In that time, it was also known that if you could not have a child after 10 years, it was okay to divorce them. Apparently, in Middle Eastern countries, it's still allowed. You can actually divorce your wife if she can't give you children after 10 years. Or you can get a second wife. And that's what we see has happened here. We see that, uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah, Abraham's wife, couldn't have children. And so she brought in Hagar to be Abraham's second choice to to definitely give him children. That was one of Sarah's worst mistakes. It was definitely not God's plan. So that's why we see there are two wives in this story. So Penina comes in and is able to bear children. You know, poor Hannah doesn't only have a problem that she can't have children, But she has a problem with Penina, who was her competition. Verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. Imagine being Hannah, like sitting around the table and watching these kids' naughty face stuff their face with food that could have gone potentially to children that she had. The sorrow in her heart. When it was festival time, it would be so hard to eat and hang out with them as a family, being around with them and and seeing, you know, like it would be really hard to be in that environment, that atmosphere. You so want a child and yet you can't have one. Verse 6 says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, 
It was actually God who closed her womb. And we read that several times because God had a plan and he had a purpose for her. Her rival, I want it because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So not only she couldn't have children, she had Penina the pest who would literally tease her, who would constantly give her a hard time would tease her to no end, make her feel miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Every year when Hannah went to the temple with Penina, provoked her, it says in verse seven, that when this went on year after year, so it wasn't a once-off thing, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. That's a sad day when you cannot eat. Feels that sad. Panina, the pain in the neck. Panina, the pest. Not only did she have so many kids, but she rubbed it in to Hannah. You know, unfortunately, women in our day, in our time, are infertile as well. And and it's if actually the statistics statistics are quite alarming. Infertility affects more women that we're aware of. One in every six women are infertile. 16, 16% of women cannot have children. 4.5 million couples globally experience infertility. It's horrible. For so many, as Mark pointed out, for so many mothers today, it's hard because they... You know, I was talking to a, a, a woman yesterday and she goes, I just can't go to church tomorrow, Nina. It's just too hard for me. Just the, the pain of not being a have children is horrible. And, and I know that pain because I was in a doctor's surgery and I had done all these tests and the doctor just says to me, Nina, I'm sorry, the tests have come back and you're not gonna be able to have children naturally. And I remember that pain, that, that, that gut-wrenching ache and pain. My thought was, all I want is children one day. And I know the sorrow. But did you know in the Bible, you're, if you're here today, and you, that's you, you desire to have children, you're not alone. In the Bible, Sarah, Abraham's wife, wife was infertile. Rebecca, Isaac's wife was infertile. Rachel, Jacob's other wife was infertile. Ruth, the wife of Boaz, in her first marriage, she was infertile. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's wife, she was infertile. Do you see there's a resemblance with all these women? They are all righteous women. There are all godly women. Many of the other women who could have children weren't so righteous, like Panina, the pest. (laughs) You know, I want you to know today, if you're here and you desire to have children and you can't, I want to encourage you today. That's what the doctor said to me. That's what the results were. The doctor wasn't wrong. She was actually right. But we serve a God who is bigger, who is a healer, who can heal. And I'm a standing witness of today that God healed my womb and I was able to have three, not one, but three children. There's a God who, who has 
like we see in this passage, a heart towards women, you know? And, and so we see, we've dedicated so many parents with, who were told the same news, you can't have children. We dedicated parents and we dedicated babies, babies to the Lord because God did a miracle. And so don't accept the report, but continue to believe and have faith in God. You know, there are some parents who will never hold their own children, but they've gone on to adopt. And we have families in this room who've gone to adopt children, who've gone to foster children. It was only yesterday that I received a call for one of the foster children that were in this, that were, you know, part of our church who were fostered from a family, a great family in this church who were able to nurture her, introduce her to Jesus, show her unconditional love. To this day, she's not with that family, but she still knows the love that she received. She knows that God loves her. You see, if you can't have children, there are other ways that you can have and show your love in adoption. You know, there's more kids needing parents than parents wanting children. Number two, great mothers keep great priorities. Once, verse 9, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorstop, by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. That's great from a pastor, eh? And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? With Penina, probably a long time. <laughs> Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. We see three priorities that she kept. She was a woman with a personal relationship with God. Every year she went to worship the Lord at the, fe at the feast and offer a sacrifice. She probably didn't feel like it, but she every year, whether she felt like it or not, she would go to church. It was more than a ritual. It was more than a habit. A habit. It was more than ticking a box. It was a, a desire to go into the house of the Lord. And we know this because in chapter two, she even wrote her own song. It said, song of praise and prayer to God. And in it reveals the kind of relationship that she had with her God. Anyone can go to church. Anyone can tick a box. Anyone could say, I, I did. 
my duties this week, but still be spiritually dead. But Hannah had a living, daily relationship with God. She says in chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. She had to do a lot of smiling at Penina. Because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like you, like our God. She had that personal relationship with God. You can't expect your children to go grow in the ways of the Lord unless you having that personal relationship and model that to your kids. We see she had a great posture of prayer. Hannah poured out her pain, not to her husband, but to God. There is no record in the text that she complains to her husband. This is your fault. You didn't give me children. This is your, she doesn't say, give me a child or I die. Die. There is nothing to indicate that. She doesn't even fight back with Penina. She, the, the, the pest who was provoking her, she didn't even retaliate. What she does is she takes her sadness to her and her pain and pours it out to God. She says, Almighty God, she knew it was God and God alone based on His authority and His power I ask you this, in verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you whatever you have asked of him. You know, Eli wasn't saying, you're gonna have a baby. He didn't say that. What he was saying is that, he was saying, go in peace. Go and live in peace. She said in verse 18, May your servant find favour in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something. It was a good day. <laughs> she was eating again. You know, a woman, there's two, two things. If you see your wife or your children, girl children, in the cupboard, either they're upset about something and so they're comfort eating, right? If you don't see them in the cupboard ever, you know something's wrong too. They're worried about something. So I have a comfort eater. Somehow I find a comfort eater. The Tim Tams is my weakness, right? I wish I had the other one where I didn't eat, but no. It's interesting. You know, she goes in sad and comes out glad. She goes in with a sorrow heart and pours it out to God in prayer and leaves that time in prayer with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6, let your requests, let your burdens, let your troubles, let your pain be known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. Hannah knew what to do. Hannah knew how to pour her problems, her grief to God. Here is a woman who had a real relationship with God. Her priorities were God first. Samuel had a great mum. 
and a great example as a heritage. He had a praying mum. Mothers, praying mothers do more than just about anyone and anything else. Abraham Lincoln said, no one is poor who has a godly mother. He said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Praying mothers. I wanna say praying grandmothers. You're a grandmother here. Let me tell you, your, power, your prayers are powerful, effective. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your grandchildren. It's your responsibility. It's not done when your kids get married and leave the house. When you have grandchildren, pray for them. Pray. My mum has dementia, but let me tell you, after time she doesn't remember the kids' names, but she prays for all her grandchildren. I just keep reminding her of my kids' names because <laughs> I'm her favourite. We need help, mums. We can't, we can get that from the Lord. I want to encourage you, mums, get a chair. Get a chair, comfy chair, so then you'll stay in it and pray. Use your chair, your chair of love where you feel the love of God come in. Your chair where you pray and you pray for your kids that have just, just gone crazy. Cry, be there. Not this one here, Tori's my good one. She... <laughs> where you can lean and you can pray and you can shed your tears. That's what Hannah did. She prayed, she wet her chair, flung some on a penina. (laughs) But she prayed, can I encourage you ladies? Get a chair, it's your chair. I remember coming home from school with the kids and I had this ritual where I dropped them off have all their three bowls of food, and then I would go into the bedroom. I had a rocking chair back in that day, and I would just pray, and I thank God, and I pray, and I, not for very long, because they didn't keep me very long in that, without screaming, dobbing in on someone. But, you know, I had a chair, and I still have a chair in my room, in my bedroom, where at times I just go on it and I just pour out to God or I read my word, I get a word from God. And so I encourage you, get, spend a bit of bucks. Get yourself a chair where you, it's a chair of reminder. I'm carrying this burden. No, I'm gonna sit in the chair and I'm gonna give it to God. Okay, can you do that? And if you can't get a chair, just take one from the church. Not this one, I like this one. We don't need to worry about our kids if we continually pray to God. There was, I'm not saying which particular child kept me in that chair longer than other children. She kept me in her room, oops. (laughs) But I pray in the bedroom, but I spend a lot of time in the chair praying. You don't have children now, right? Or you have little children, babies. Start now praying for your children. Start praying for their husbands. Get ahead of time. Start praying for them because our prayers are heard from God just as Hannah's prayers were heard. Number two, her priority was her husband. So these are her priorities. Okay, we see relationship with God, we see prayer, and then her priority was her husband. 
Verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanai to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah. He gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed the womb. We read it again. Her husband, Elkanai, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? I love this man. I never hear you say, why don't you eat? <laughs> why are you downhearted? He said, stop it. No, he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do that. He does, he's very gracious. He stays silent and lets my own guilt get to me. <laughs> why? And this is what I love. I love Elkanai says, why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Do, do, wrong thing to say. <laughs> wrong thing to say. The eating part's good, but that last statement going, honey, you got me, you don't need 10 sons. <laughs> there is a great love between them. Verse five says that he gave Hannah a double portion. That's like giving her a diamond ring because he loved her. You know, did you know in the Middle East, if you want to honour someone, and in the day, in that day, but the culture still exists today, that if you want to honour someone, you give them a double portion of food. You know, we see Joseph did this with his brothers. His brother Benjamin, his younger son, he gave him five times more than the others. Just want to honour him. It's an indication of love. It's an indication of favour. You know, also women in the Middle East, it's a culture that the larger the woman gets, the more there is to love. That's why they see it over there. Honey, you get twice as much to love. Honey, you get twice as much to love. I am not encouraging overeating. Someone's going to take this out of context. I'm encouraging a healthy lifestyle, a balanced lifestyle, low fats, low carbs, low sugar. But if it makes you happy, go right ahead. <laughs> you know, one teenager's quote said, I wish my parents had known how to love each other more. Unless marriage partners can truly love one another, there is little they can teach their own children about the love of God or Christian living. And it's so true. Great, you know, great women have great priorities. She had a priority towards God, a priority towards her husband, and she had a priority towards her family, towards her children, not Penina, but towards her children. <laughs> Verse nine, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their homes at Ramhah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord of him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all the family, to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, 
Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanai told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. You know, in those days, weaning never took months. He actually took five to, up to five to seven years. Didn't mean she stopped praying. She still prayed. <laughs> you remember that, that once you get what you want, the relationship shouldn't stop. Keep praying. Keep worshipping. So weaning wasn't weaning off of the breast either. It wasn't that transitioning of weaning the child off of the breast. It was actually the word means to deal fully with and has the idea of a spiritual training as well as a physical nurturing. And so we see this in Paul. When Paul said to, to Timothy, I know that you have been trained from childhood in Holy Scripture. You, train, you learn them from your mother and your grandmother. So that was where that training comes. So as grandmothers, be forefront there. You're blessed to be able to have them and then give them back. That's what they tell me. But you have a big part to still continue to play in your grandchildren's life. You know, when God gave Hannah this child, Samuel, she dedicated, she was dedicated to raising that child, even though it took several years. This has meant she couldn't go up, enjoy the party. She couldn't get an Airbnb with her husband, time away. She was dedicated because she saw it as a season of her life for her to be dedicated to nurture Samuel. She saw it as her priority to train her child. Mums, if it's our priority to train our kids, it's not social media, it's not TikTok, it's not Instagram, it's not Facebook, it's not the TV, it's not the movies, it's not the friends, it's not the other people's friends, parents, it's us. It's not our church, it's not our schools, it's not our youth group, it's you, it's me. It's up to us to train them in the ways of God. It's a personal start to the personal relationship with God. Hannah knows she was going to give him up forever because that was her vow. So she did everything to train him, to prepare him. So when he left, she did a good job. You know, do you know the very first five years are the most important years in a child's life? It's been researched. It's been documented, it's been followed. British psychiatrist John Balby said, the first five years of a child's life are the most impressionable years, he writes. The young child's hunger for his mother's love and presence is as, as great as his hunger for food. Are you telling your kids every day that you love them? Are you hugging them? Or do they have to guess? Hug them. Tell them every day that you love them. Tell them what you're proud of. Encourage them. He goes on to say, her absence 
inevitably generates a powerful sense of loss and anger. What you teach your children in the first five years are foundational and, and very important. Hannah, a great woman with great problems, but great priorities to God, her husband and her family. Number three, her third trait. Great mothers make great plans. After verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and Ephra, Ephra, which Ephra is a vessel of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When, she had, when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy Eli brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him back to you. I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. This is what she had promised This is what she had planned that she would do. If I get a son, I will give him back to you. She realised her son was only on loan to parent, to nurture, to train. That's what our kids are to us. Our kids are on loan. We need to nurture. We need to train. We need to parent. Okay, that's that's our job. That's what our job is, to do that. Not someone else to do it. We're to do that and then give them and trust them to God. Hannah realised that there's nothing we could have really done our own way, but it was only with the help of God. We're only stewards of what God has given to us in our children. I want the musos to come as we come to a close. You know, we, we've, we're going to have problems. We're going to make mistakes, mums. We're going to make mistakes. But as long as your mistakes don't become regrets, let your mistakes become a place where you can go to your kids and apologise if you need to apologise. And say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. I'm sorry, I did. You know, don't be proud. Don't let them have the guessing game to work out what went wrong. Reconciliation. There are people that I meet that have not spoken to their parents for 40 years. That's wrong. Doesn't matter what your parents have done. Doesn't matter what your kids have done. So it goes the other way as well. Reconciliation, apologise. I say to mothers, doesn't even matter if it was their fault. Doesn't even matter if they were the ones who did it. Doesn't matter. Just say, I'm sorry. I am Sorry if I hurt you. You know, perception's reality. And for them, if they feel you've hurt them or vice versa, it's a reality. And so only can come with a reconciliation. But I want to encourage you, start here first. Start here first. God will give you a word. God will give you even something that you need to do for them. God might say something, do that. Because God knows them better than you think you know them. 
at the season and the time and do that. I think our kids, might have got one child who is overseas. I just not disconnected. She rings me every day. Sometimes I think I should not answer so she'll come back. You know, but it's that connection. So today, you may be here and you are, your heart aches because you have not got a good relationship with your mum. Can I encourage you? Mend it. Mend it. Don't live in regret, but mend it. In closing, three takeaways. You are of value to God whether you have children or not. God loves you. Not for what you have, not for what you can do. He loves you. When you have pain, God has a plan. When you are at your worst, God is at His work. He is up to something. You just have to find out by asking Him, what's your will? What do you want me to do, Lord? How do I navigate through this, God? When I was told I couldn't have children, you know, I still feel the emotions being in that surgery, in that, not surgery, in the doctor's room, so vivid. Memory pictures are powerful. And I remember when I remember when she told me, all I could do was ring Mark, because we weren't married then. And I said, honey, you need to know this. This is what the doctor said, that I can't naturally have children. And that may affect your decision in marrying me. And I have to tell you, I don't want to be the wife who tells you afterwards. I want to be honourable. And I remember Mark, he said, don't worry about that, Nina. You know, when many years ago, when I was praying and fasting for a wife, he was always praying and fasting for a wife, God spoke to me and he said these things to me. He said, Mark, don't worry. At 33, you'll be married. And at 35, you'll have your first child. So you know what I did? Because it looked like at 33, we were going we to be married. So it would have been in his 33rd year. So you know what I did? I got his word and I made it my word. Then I sat in the chair and I got my own words. Comfort, peace, God, this is not fair. Penina gets to have kids and she's horrible. Bless her with that boulder. Get yourself a chair. Take it to God. Kids that are wayward, get in your chair. Pray them back. Pray wholeness and healing. Sound mind. Protection. Get yourself a chair.